Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Do you trust the Father? Do you really trust your Heavenly Father? Do you trust that He loves you? that he sees you moment by moment, that he cares for you, that he has a wonderful, marvelous plan for you, and he's always there for you. Do you really trust the Father? Well, my friends, this Lent, it's beginning right now. We have the great season of Lent on our hands. We are presented with the Sunday reading and the first Sunday of Lent this year with a marvelous story that's all about trust of the Father. The gospel reading takes us right there to the desert. And it's a story that you've heard many times, I bet. It's the story of Jesus being led by the Spirit out into the wilderness for 40 days where he's praying and fasting, and he's tempted by the devil. But I want you to hear this story with with new ears. I want you to see this story with new eyes this year, because I want you to see that this story is all about trusting the Father. In fact, this is what the devil's going after. He's trying to break the son's trust of the father. He's trying to tempt Jesus to to break his trust, his confidence in the father. And what the devil did with Jesus in the desert 2,000 years ago, he continues to do in your life and mine today. In fact, this is what the Catechism teaches. Catechism 397 tells us that that very first sin in the Garden of Eden consists of a lack of trust in God's goodness. Adam and Eve didn't trust the Father. That's what led to their sin. And and the Catechism goes on to say that all subsequent sin is a lack of trust in God's goodness to us, a lack of trust in His care for us, His law for us, His plan for us. Do you trust the Father? Well, that's what we're going to get into as we take a look at this week's Sunday reading on the All Things Catholic podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree, and I'm so excited for this year's Lent, and I, I'm going to be doing a number of things related to Lent to help us to enter into the season. But I want to share with you all, if you don't have the show notes for the All Things Catholic podcast, did you know you can get those really easily? Hey, all you need to do is text All Things Catholic, all one word, to 33777. And you can get the show notes. You can get the little background that we give you, a little more detail, some of the quotes I give. I know many listeners will email me and they'll say, Dutcher, you mentioned this one quote from this one saint. And if you get the show notes, you have everything right there. You can get the podcast sent to you in your inbox each week. So again, text all things Catholic, all one word, just all things Catholic to 33777. And you can get those show notes just sent to you. They're all for free. Thanks to the good people at Ascension Press that produce this podcast. So again, all things Catholic, all one word. You just text at the 33777, and you can get the show notes with the quotes in the background, outline of what we cover uh, each week. So another thing I want to mention here before we start is uh, if you're looking for some good spiritual reading this Lent, there's many great books out there. I'm going to recommend one that I wrote if you want to get into the scriptures. If you're wanting to know God's word more, in the Lenten season. I wrote a book a couple of years ago called No Greater Love, A Biblical Walk Through Christ's Passion. And what this book does is it goes through the passion narratives, those stories of Jesus's agony in the garden, the betrayal by Judas, him standing before Caiaphas. And it goes through all of those stories that we hear every Holy Week. 
But what I'm doing is mining every word. (laughs) I'm unpacking the biblical meaning of every word, the Old Testament background, the prophecies, the Jewish customs, the historical circumstances. Uh, What was Jesus really going through in these moments? What did he mean when he said this? If you want to know the passion narratives better, read them. So just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go do that first. But if you're looking for a guide, you can check out my book again. It's called No Greater Love, A Biblical Walk Through Christ's Passion. Easy to read. A great book you can take to the the chapel. I know many people have been using it for prayer. A lot of people use it for small group discussion, but you can use it just on your own as well. So it has little reflection questions at the end of every chapter that you can ponder and pray and apply to your life. Now, let's take a look at this story of Jesus agonizing in his temptations in the desert. It's intense what he went through. Now, Luke's gospel tells us that at the end of it, angels came to minister to him. You know, the next time we're going to see angels coming to minister to Jesus to strengthen him is going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his agony. So we can, see, we can look back here and see, this wasn't just like a, a simple conversation with the devil. This was a, a, a powerful spiritual battle that was going on. He was being attacked. You get a sense he's exhausted afterwards. Um, so, But let, let's get the story here. The Bible tells us in Matthew, and that's the account we're going to read this Sunday, in Matthew chapter 4, verses one and two, that Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness for 40 days. Now, when you hear that story of Jesus being led by the Spirit, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. What does that remind us of? Well, of course, it reminds us of the story of Israel and the Exodus. The Israelites were led by the Spirit, symbolized by the the pillar of cloud that guided them by day and the pillar of fire that guided them by night, God's presence in the cloud and the, and the fire. They, they're led by the Spirit. Where do they go? They go out into the wilderness. And how long are they going to be wandering in the wilderness on their way to the promised land for 40 years? So it's like Jesus is stepping into that same story and he's assuming we know that background. But what's fascinating is when you take a look at what Jesus endured, the same three tests that Jesus experiences when he's tested by the devil are the same three tests that the ancient Israelites endured in the desert, in the Exodus story. And a lot of us may not be as familiar with that, but I want, I want to walk step by step because it's going to tell us a lot about trusting the Father. Because we're going to see that Israel was described in the Old Testament as God's son, the people of Israel were God's son. In fact, Exodus 4.22, uh, God tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my son, my firstborn son go, that he may serve me, that he may worship me. So Israel is described as God's son, the firstborn son. Uh, all of the nations are God's children, but Israel's like the firstborn of all the different nations. He's the one that God works with to serve and reach the other nations. So Israel's God's firstborn son. And God loves the Israelites so much. He hears their cries of their suffering and slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And he answers their call and he liberates them. They They were liberated from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. And in chapter 15, you read about the Israelites praising God, thanking God for liberating them, giving them freedom as Pharaoh and all of his charioteers were drowned in the Red Sea. And they are on the other side and they are finally free. And they're so excited. They're praising God. God is our savior. Thank you, God. But what's fascinating is what happens next. In the very next chapter, chapter 16, all of a sudden they start complaining. They start panicking. They're worried. They're saying, oh, wait, 
we're out here in the desert and, and, and there's no food out here. Oh my goodness, at least back in Egypt, we had food and there, there's no food out here in the wilderness. God brought us out here to die. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us? And they, and they panic. And, and we as readers are, are just confused. We're just frustrated with the Israelites. We're looking at them saying, didn't you see what God just did for you? He just rescued you from slavery in Egypt. He sent the 10 plagues. Did you see those miracles? Did you see how he he parted the Red Sea for you so you could cross to the other side and Pharaoh and his men were drowned and left behind and you are free? Did you see what God just did? Do you think he brought you all the way out here just so you would die? God will provide for you. Don't you see that? (laughs) And so we scratch our heads wondering, why are they panicking about food? But I think when we're doing that, when we're reading the Bible that way, we're not reading it properly. We, we should read this story as like a mirror, <laughs> as like a mirror. Yeah, we should be looking at our own lives and going, how many times do I lack trust in the Father? I see the marvelous things God has done for me, and then all of a sudden, the following week, I'm panicking about something. You know, I'm worried about this situation. I'm wondering, how's God going to provide? What's going to happen? What's the future going to be like? And I'm all anxious. <laughs> I need to see myself in the story of the Israelites because, in a sense, I have even greater miracles than the Israelites did. I remember as a kid, I used to think, wow. If God did miracles in my life, if, if I saw plagues and I saw a burning bush like Moses did, I, I would be a much better kid. I would be a, I'd be a better Catholic. <laughs> I remember thinking this, you know, you know, oh, if God just, you know, parted the Red Sea for me, if I saw waters part, if I saw a miracle like that, I would have so much more faith in God. Well, here's the deal. We actually experience greater miracles than Moses and the Israelites did. Yeah, yeah, they may have, might have seen the parting of the Red Sea. But you know what? We see the sacraments. (laughs) We receive the life of the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism, and and we have our sins forgiven every time we go to confession. That uh, confession, what happens in the confessional, is really a greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea. Now, I don't you, you don't see it. You don't see your soul all of a sudden. Oh well, the sin disappeared. (laughs) You know, you don't see it. It's it's invisible. But what we can't see. many times is is greater than what we can see. The invisible realm is more powerful, more important than the things of this world. And and so we have to really believe that that the parting of, of, of the Red Sea, as great as it is, is not nearly as great as what God does in our souls in the sacrament of reconciliation. And then think about the gift of the Eucharist. I mean, that, 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 that is amazing that God comes and dwells among us in the form of bread and wine, and and we get to receive him in holy communion. That is amazing. So we have even greater miracles than the Israelites did. So if we have Jesus really present in the Eucharist, and we receive our God in holy communion, and we receive forgiveness of sins in the confessional, and the life of the Holy Spirit fills us at our baptisms. We have greater miracles, and we have less reason to complain and to doubt and to not trust God. You know, So what we're seeing in the story of the Exodus is a model for the Christian life. We're all called to be God's children. Israel's God's son, God's firstborn son. He he goes before all of us in a sense. And, and, and what you see happening in the desert is a certain pattern that the, the way the devil works is he's going to get us to break our trust in the Father. Even when God does amazing things, even when it does miracles like parting the Red Sea or miracles like the Eucharist, we are going to be tempted to doubt and to not trust. And that's what happens in Exodus 
16. They're hungry and they're panicking and they want food. And what does God do? He provides. He gives them the manna, the heavenly bread. Every day, bread showers down from heaven and the people have food to eat each day. It's just given to them as a gift. It's amazing. Well, what happens in the next chapter, Exodus chapter 17? Think about this. What happens when you eat a lot of bread (laughs) or maybe you eat a lot of crackers? You get thirsty. So in chapter 17, they're panicking again. It's like, we got all this bread, but but there's no water. We're out in the desert and there's no water here. Oh, God brought us out here to die of thirst. So once again, they they lack trust. They don't trust that God's going to provide for them, even though God parted the Red Sea, even though God brought them out here, even though God is giving them manna now, he gave them food. So when they were hungry, he provided. Shouldn't they believe that, well, if they get thirsty, he'll provide again? And what happens here? God will provide the water through this rock that Moses will strike with a rod, and then water comes forth from this rock, and they they have their thirst quenched in the desert. It's amazing. And and what's fascinating is that Moses names this place Meribah Massa, which means place of testing. So this is a place where they put the Lord to the test. They didn't trust God. They complained, they grumbled, they lacked confidence that God was actually going to provide for them. They put the Lord to the test. They were testing God's faithfulness that day. So that's the second trial. Uh, And then there's a third temptation that comes later. They get to Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments, they make the covenant with the Lord, it's wonderful. And then Moses goes up the mountain and he's been up there for a long time. There's cloud and lightning and thunder up there and they're worried and the people start to panic. Where's where's Moses? And maybe Moses isn't, isn't coming back. Maybe God killed Moses. That's why Moses hasn't come down. And, and if God did that to Moses, maybe God's going to come do that to us. Maybe he brought us out here to kill us at Mount Sinai. So we better make our own gods. So they have Aaron take their gold and they make a golden calf and they start worshiping a golden calf, which was one of the gods of Egypt. So they're, they're always tempted to go back to Egypt, tempted to go back to Egypt for the food, tempted to go back to Egypt for, for water, for, to quench their thirst. And now they're tempted to go back to Egypt in their hearts through Egyptian idolatry, to worship the gods of Egypt. Because they're constantly thinking, well, Egypt is as painful as it was, as much as it was suffering and, and involved slavery. At least we had we knew where our food was coming from. We knew where our, 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 our thirst would be quenched. And, and we, we didn't know where our leader, you know, we didn't have to worry about, you know, is God going to come down and kill us? You know, so they, they're always tempted to go back because they want to control and manage everything themselves. They don't trust God. And so what do they do? They fall into the temptation of idolatry, and they worship a golden calf. And then this golden calf worship, by the way, it wasn't just a golden calf. It was also the the licentious, you know, debauchery lifestyle that was surrounding this kind of idolatrous worship. Uh, in fact, Exodus 32, if I had more time, I'd walk you through, and it says some of the key words that are used there are used in Genesis to describe sexual sin. So it's not just, I always wondered, like, so really, they're going to all of a sudden just make a calf out of gold and worship this thing they made? Really? <laughs> How is that attractive? Well, I think what, what what's happening here is they're going back, reverting to Egyptian ways of life, sexual promiscuity, sexual sin, drunkenness, things like that. that that's what Exodus 32 is describing is happening with the golden calf worship. So it, take all this in mind. What you're seeing is Israel's God's firstborn son. And God is giving them the free gift of the Exodus, the free gift of this promised land he wants to lead them to, but the people don't trust. 
They don't trust the father. Even though the father has proven his love over and over again in the Exodus story, they panic about the food, they panic about the drink, and they panic, you know, wondering where God is and they're worried, is God really faithful? Is God really gonna provide for us? Maybe God just brought us out here. We're just gonna die here at Mount Sinai, so let's go worship a golden calf. I think that story is there for us because we are faced with the same temptation. God has proven his faithfulness to us over and over again, and yet we don't trust the Father. We panic. We worry, is this going to work out? Is this relationship going to work out? What is my boss going to think of me? What's going to happen to my kid? Uh, What's going to happen with our finances? We're, We're constantly panicking, and we're always wanting to take things into our hands because we think that's going to be safer. (laughs) <laughs> somehow, even though God, we know God is God. We get that right on a theology test. Is God God? Yes. <laughs> is God all powerful? Yes. Is God love? Yes. Will God provide for me? Yes. Is God trustworthy? Yes. We can get that right on a theology test, but we often don't get it right in our hearts because the devil's always getting us to break our trust in the Father, to get us to doubt. Well, you know, yeah, I know God provided in the past, but I, I, I'm worried he won't provide in the future. And so what we're doing is we, we want to take things into our own hands. We want to manage it ourselves. And when we do that, that leaves us very anxious. It leaves us panicking. What we want to do is look at what Jesus did. Look at the three temptations of Jesus in the desert. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the devil's opening words, if you are the son of God, notice he's attacking the sonship. He's attacking the son's relationship with the father. If you, if, if, if you really trust the father, if you're really the son of God, and, and, and what's the first temptation involved? It involves hunger. Change these stones to bread. So just like the first temptation involved hunger and God provided the manna. Here, the devil's saying, hey, take things into your own hands. Break it, break this fast. And, you know, just, just change these stones into bread. Jesus refuses. He says, no, man does not live by bread alone. He trusts the Father. He's going to persevere with his commitment to praying and fasting here in the desert. Well, what's the next temptation? Chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 in Matthew's gospel. So the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, if you really trust the Father, just jump, just just, just fall down and trust that, that your Father will send the angels. His angels will come and, and rescue you. Yeah, yeah, just, just jump off the top of the temple here and trust the Father. Let's see if you can really trust him. And what does Jesus say? He says, you shall not put the Lord to the test. And that corresponds directly to the second temptation in the desert. Do you remember in Exodus 17, what was that second temptation? They were thirsty. They were panicking. We're going to die of thirst. And what does God do? He gives the water from the rock, but then they named the place Massa Meribah, place of testing. And what does Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord to the test. In other words, devil, I don't need to test the Father's love for me. I trust the Father's love. I don't need to jump off this temple and, and test the Father to see is the Father going to come and rescue me. I know he would. If I, if I stumbled and I fell, I know he would. I trust him. I don't have to test him. So the second test of Jesus in the desert corresponds exactly to the second test of Israel in the desert in Exodus 17. So the way the devil's attacking the son in the gospel reading we have here, the son of God, Jesus, echoes the same way he was tempting God's firstborn son, metaphorically, 
the Israelites in the desert. See, there's a direct correspondence here. Now, the last temptation of Jesus. Jesus is shown all the kingdoms of the earth, and Satan says, I'll give you all of these if you bow down before me and worship me. That's the ultimate form of idolatry. And so you see how that corresponds to the golden calf, right? So just in summary, I want you to see what we're what happened with Israel? Israel was led by God, by the cloud, by the spirit out into the wilderness for 40 years. And while they're out there, they're going to be tested by the devil in three ways. There's three tests that they go through. They're tested with related to food. They panic about the food. They panic about thirst. And then they call that, that, that place in that second test is called place of testing, place of testing. And then thirdly, they're tempted to fall into idolatry. Where is Jesus tested? In the same three ways. Tempted related to food. He's, he's tempted with putting the Lord to the test. And he's tempted to the ultimate idolatry, which would be worshiping Satan. But what Jesus does is he proves himself to be faithful precisely where the Israelites were not faithful. He is the true faithful son trusting the father precisely in the areas where Israel did not trust the father. So closing here, to, to wrap this all up and apply it to our lives, let's look at Jesus and let's look at Israel. Israel, the story of Israel, St. Paul says, is given to us for our instruction. It's there like a mirror. It's there to remind us of the, the sins and trials we are going to be tempted to fall into. And many times, even though we see God's marvelous works, whether it's in the sacraments or just in our life in prayer, we've seen his hand in our lives, we've experienced his love, even though we know he is trustworthy in our heads, when we are presented with a difficult circumstance, a sudden trial, or some new situation on the horizon that we start to worry about, we don't trust him. And we tend to do what Israel did. We want to put matters in our own hands. We want to go back. I'm going to go back to the land of Egypt. <laughs> I want to go back to the way things were before. I'm always looking backward. Jesus shows us the proper way forward. He remains faithful. He trusts the Father. His trust to the Father is never shaken. And we're fallen human beings. You know, we may never get this exactly right like Jesus did, but we can rely on his grace and we can pray, Jesus, help me to trust the Father more like you did. Give me the grace to have confidence no matter what happens. So when we have those moments where we're tempted to not trust the Father, we're tempted to panic, to get discouraged, to be anxious about something, surrender it to the Lord. Remember Jesus in the desert. Have words on your heart like, like Jesus spoke, you know, Father, not my will, may your will be done. Think about how Jesus said that in the garden uh, or Jesus saying, you shall not put the Lord to the test. Maybe we should have that word on our mind. I don't want to put you to the test, Father. I trust that you're there. I'm shaken right now. I'm worried right now. I'm anxious right now, but I don't want to be. I don't want to put you to the test. I know you're there. We put it in the Lord's hands. Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want Psalm 23. Maybe that's a good word to have on our head or um, just telling Jesus, I trust you. Father, I trust you. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's a beautiful line. Jesus on the cross, just to speak that, Lord, this situation I, Father, I put this into your hands. This situation I'm worried about, I'm, I'm tempted to panic like the Israelites did. Into your hands, I commit this situation. <laughs> it's a beautiful way to practice trust and confidence in the Father. Let's live that out this Lent.
Thanks so much for listening, my friends. Again, if you want those show notes, you can get those for free from Ascension Press. Just text All Things Catholic to 33777. That's all one word, All Things Catholic to 33777. You can get the show notes there each week. Thanks so much for listening and God bless.